Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. My name's Zach. I'm going to be reading this morning from 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you would please respond by saying, thanks be to God. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Oh, good morning. morning. How are we doing this morning? Even after even after hearing that list of uh, of sins, right? Well, we're going to uh, we're definitely going to need God to speak to us and work uh, in our hearts this morning. So let's have a word of prayer before we get started. Lord, I come before you this morning and we see in this passage we are faced with characteristics of our flesh, Lord, that are not what you want for us, but that we see in our lives that we struggle with. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, that you would reveal sin to us, but that you would reveal yourself to us in a whole new way, that the power of your Spirit would work in us and draw us to yourself and help us as we look at at living in the Spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, my name's uh, Camden. I'm one of the pastors here at New King, if if we haven't gotten a chance to meet. Um, When I was uh, about 17 years old, my older brother, who's about five years older than me, had uh, gone to a Bible college in Southern California, and uh, he was just finishing up uh, his master's there. And I was not quite sure what I was going to do and uh, what I would go to college for, so I thought, I'll go down there for a year, take a year's worth of of Bible classes, and we'll be down there at the same time. Uh, So I moved from Alaska to Southern California, um, and I wasn't what you might say street smart. Uh, so it was, it was quite a different experience for me. And uh, my brother took me uh, to some stores when I first got down there, and I couldn't believe they, just, they had everything you could ever imagine for sale. And uh, we went through this, this market that wasn't the nicest looking market I'd ever been to, but some of the prices on the things that they were selling were just incredible. And I was, I was really into basketball at the time, and there was a shop there that was selling Michael Jordan brand 
basketball shoes for just unbelievably low prices. Um, a shoe like that would have cost, you know, well over $100 at Foot Locker uh, back home. And they were selling it for, I don't I remember, like $30. I couldn't believe how good of a deal it was. So I bought a pair, couldn't wait to get out on the court and try them out. And sure enough, just like you might think, my jump shot was a little more accurate. And my layups were just a little crisper. And it, I, was, I couldn't believe what a good deal it was. Um, after a little while, I started to notice the build quality wasn't quite what I would expect in a pair of Jordans. Uh, and then a little bit later on, they started falling apart. And I, I was very disappointed. And I, I mentioned this to my brother, and um, he said, yeah, you do know where you bought those shoes. Most of that merchandise was knockoffs, right? And it, then it started to make a little more sense. And Michael Jordan's pose was just a little off. <laughs> And the quality, you know, there was a little too much Chinese writing on the inside. And I realized I had bought, I thought I was getting a good deal, but actually I was buying a counterfeit. Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is warning Timothy about people who are living a, a counterfeit version of the Christian life. On the outside, they have an appearance of godliness, but on the inside, they're giving place to their flesh. They're living in the flesh instead of living in the Spirit. And Paul is very open throughout his letters to Timothy about all of the challenges that he is facing and all of the hard things that he has to endure in order to follow God's calling for his life. And he tells Timothy that he is going to experience those same things as well but he encourages him to do the hard work and to continue to pursue God's calling for his life and not to do what our flesh wants and revert back to living in the flesh. And we'll define kind of a little bit more of what that means in a minute. But this counterfeit version of Christianity is very appealing to our flesh, and that makes it very deceptive and very dangerous, so much so that when Paul is warning Timothy about this, he said the people who have been deceived in this way and are trying to deceive others, just avoid those people because it is such a pull to our flesh to want to take the easy route, to think that we can get all of the results of what God wants to do in us and through us by living in the flesh instead of putting those things to death and doing the hard work that it takes to live in the Spirit. And Paul gives an example as well of how when we do live in the flesh instead of the Spirit, and we put up an appearance of godliness on the outside, it may work for a while, people may be fooled, but inevitably things are going to unravel in a disastrous way. And to illustrate this, he gives us this example of, uh, of Janus and Jambres. Um, so who are these guys, and, and why is Paul bringing them up here? Um, their names kind of look like they could be Spanish, uh, Juanes and Wombres, but they're not. They're Egyptian. Uh, so to look at these, uh, the story of these guys, we have to go back to Exodus chapter 7. And, uh, and these aren't going to be up on the screen, so if you want to just flip back there quickly. Um, th these names aren't mentioned in this story in Exodus, 
Um, but throughout Jewish um, culture and, and history, these are the names that were given uh, to the top magicians and sorcerers in Egypt when Moses came to uh, confront Pharaoh about letting God's people go. So if you know the, the story of Moses, right? God sent Moses to Egypt to deliver the people of Israel that were in bondage there. And Pharaoh would not have any of it. He wouldn't let the people go. So God gave Moses and Aaron these signs, these demonstrations of God's power to show to Pharaoh so that he would let his people go. And in uh, Exodus chapter 7, and verse 10, it says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, this is Janus and Jambres, and they and the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. This is pretty impressive. This, this display of God's power was seemingly matched in a way by a, dis- a similar display of power from these two men. We look in verse 20 of chapter 7 as well. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. He lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And in verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. In chapter 8 and in, in verse 6, says, so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and the frogs came upon the land of Egypt. At this point, if I was Pharaoh, I would have called a team meeting with my sorcerers and said, if you haven't noticed, we already have a frog problem. Maybe could you get rid of the frogs instead? But that's not what they do. That's not what they did. Instead, they copied Moses every step of the way. But then we see that it all comes to an end. In chapter 8 and verse 17, it says, And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast, and all the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. In verse 19, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And that was the end of Janus and Jambres' career of imitating Moses. Eventually, their imitation came to an end, and they ran out of power, and God's power showed that really they lacked the power that Moses had. So when we think of that in this passage, why is Paul making this, this comparison. This counterfeit version of the Christian life is an imitation of the real thing. It looks like the same thing on the outside, and that is what makes it so deceptive. And we can start to fall into this and keep up the appearance, just like we always, of that everything is okay on the inside, But if we get deceived into going down that route, it is going to unravel and it is going to be disastrous. Paul is giving this exhortation to Timothy. This is not someone who is on the fringe, sort of a wishy-washy Christian. This is someone who is strong in the faith and Paul is warning him, saying, you have to watch out for this deception. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, the verse that we're probably familiar with, and Peter says, be sober, 
minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then in verse 9, he says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter was talking to people who were strong in their faith, who were on the front lines of, of uh, the church's ministry, and he knows that that is a very hard place to be and says, you've got to be careful. Satan isn't just trying to lure people into immorality and, and drugs and the, the, the sins that we may think of. He would be more than happy for us to just live in the flesh and slowly unravel. So as we talk about the, the flesh and the spirit, let's just take a minute to uh, define what we need, mean by that. Uh, before we are saved, we are operating completely in the flesh. We, we don't have God's spirit within us. In everything that we do, even the, the good things that we may do before we are saved, God is not pleased with because we're doing them totally apart from him. We're doing them in our own way. We are the, the king or the Lord of our own life, and we are refusing him his rightful place. In um, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That God is the one in control and not us. We can learn church lingo, especially those of us who have grown up in church. We can learn how to walk and talk like a Christian, and we can even reap some of the benefits of living a moral life. But until we have Christ's Spirit within us, we are not going to be able to learn and grow and experience the power of the Spirit within us in the way that God wants to work in our lives. Now, once we are saved and we have received the Spirit within us, we still have to contend with our flesh. We still have this, this human body and all of the natural fleshly desires that come along with it. And until someday God takes us to heaven, we are going to be in this, this constant battle and have this tension between our spirit, the Spirit of God within us, and our old flesh that we still have to deal with. I don't know about you, but some days my flesh can wake up pretty strong and cranky, and it's a daily battle to once again choose to live in the Spirit that day. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 says that we have learned to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting aside the flesh and choosing to live in the spirit is an ongoing battle that we have to fight every single day of our Christian life. And it can be hard, but it is a battle that we must fight. And it is a battle in which we can see victory and we can experience growth as we choose to live in the Spirit and grow unto Christ. 
So in the rest of our time here, we're going to, to dig into this list of, of characteristics of our flesh that Paul gives here. Um, I don't know if you've ever dropped something in the trash that you didn't mean to, your car keys or something, and you, you think it's going to be right on the top, and you go to, to get it, and it just falls down further and further, you know, and you've got to just wade through all the trash. That's kind of what it feels like to spend a bunch of time in these characteristics of our flesh. It's not necessarily a pleasant place to be. But Paul didn't, wasn't just trying to write up a list of every nasty thing he could think of. He put these in here so that we can see characteristics of our flesh that have a place in our life that they shouldn't, so that we can put those aside and we can turn to what we should be doing in order to live in the Spirit. So the first one that I want to see here is that if we are going to put aside our flesh, we're going to live in the Spirit, we must put God first and we must delight in Him. You look at this, this list of characteristics of our flesh and notice a misplaced uh, desire and a misplaced devotion. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, swollen with conceit, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then we look at this person that it describes in verse 6, weak people, people that are, are in a state of weakness that are prone to fall into these characteristics of the flesh. And what does it say about them? What does it say sometimes about us? It says, always learning and never arriving at the knowledge of the truth. How do these two things go together? We can desire to have more knowledge and more knowledge because we're not admitting to the fact that God is not in the place in our life that he should be. We, we think of this in a way in the, in the prosperity gospel, that, that godliness is a means of gain, that I can come to God and, and with just a little bit, just making him happy, just a little bit, I can get abundant blessings back in return. But we see in these characteristics of the flesh, this can apply when we swing all the way to the other side. And we get into legalism and we say, no, look, look at how devoted I am. Look at all of these things that I'm doing. That gives me the right to look down at someone else who isn't quite as separated as I am. You think of, about the Pharisees, right? And the Jesus story of the two men that come to the temple and one is just broken over his sin. And the Pharisee that says, well, God, I thank you that I'm not like this person. Look at how many wonderful things I'm doing. And it's all about us. Either, in either one of these ways, we can get off. But we must put God first, and our delight must be in him. In uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, he has this quote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. My flesh does not like that quote at all. My flesh wants it to be all about me. How is what God is going to do in my life, how is that going to benefit me? How is it going to make my life better? And it will make our lives better, but that is not the focus. And if that's the focus, it is going to be so easy to revert back to the flesh when things get hard. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus was approached by a young man who had, who had great wealth and was looking for some knowledge from Jesus about how he could do just a little bit more. And Jesus said, no, no, you've missed it. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His delight was not in God. His delight was in his possessions. He wanted to do a little bit more, but he didn't want to go all the way and surrender everything to God. And that is what our flesh does. It doesn't want to give up everything. It wants to retain control. It wants to retain the parts that we secretly desire. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36, someone came to Jesus and said, "'Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law?' And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is step one in the recipe. And if we try to bypass this, we are going to have a really hard time constantly fighting against the flesh until we put God in the position in our life that he should be Lord over our life. And then we learn to delight in him. You know, I, I've had times in my life where I feel like delighting in, in God was, came pretty naturally, pretty easily. Uh, there's been times that I can think back to that were just such sweet times with God. But as life happens and things get busier, sometimes, as John Piper says, we have to fight for that delight in God. And I've, I've noticed this through a, a different way recently. We have, uh, my wife and I have a a four-month-old baby. And uh, five months ago, it was really easy to go out on a date. <laughs> Things were spontaneous. We said, hey, let's just, you know, we haven't spent much time together lately. Let's just go out tonight. And uh, boy, it was just felt so nice and spontaneous. And uh, now things are a little bit differently. There's windows of time that you can hit. And you've got to hit those windows right, and you can't go too far, and you can't stay out too long, or everything just goes bad really quick. It doesn't feel as spontaneous and natural, but you still have to do it. You still have to fight for that delight in each other. And sometimes that is what we need to do with God. We're going to have to make those times throughout the day to spend time in his word. And even though it, our flesh may be feeling strong in the morning and we don't, we don't feel that delight at first, if we fight for that delight with God and we spend the time with him and let his word permeate our heart, we will delight in him. David said that evening, morning, and at noon, he would cry aloud to God. Daniel prayed and gave thanks three times a day even when it became outlawed. He was so regular that people knew exactly where he was going to be, like clockwork, certain times of the day, because that was the time that he had memorialized to spend with God. That may be what we have to do if we are going to fight to delight in him and to keep him in the place in our lives that he should be. But also, we must pursue holiness. And we look at this, uh, this list of characteristics of our flesh. Unholy, 
ungrateful, unappeasable. Nothing's good enough. Nothing is stirring us up inside. Heartless, just numb, numb to our sin, numb to the lost around us, slanderous, brutal. And I, and I put blunt there as I was thinking of um, the word brutal. It's like, well, that's, that's not something that I'd, I wouldn't consider myself a brutal person. You know, sometimes the things that we say under the guise of, well, I'm, I'm just going to be blunt about this. Are we being blunt or are we just being brutal and hurting someone with our words? Abusive. We know what buttons to push in order to get what we want. And what is the characteristic of, of us when we are prone to these characteristics of the flesh, when we are burdened with sins? We so easily turn to these manifestations of our flesh. But God has called us to pursue holiness as His Spirit works within us. And these are things that are going to keep us from being usable by God in the way that He wants us to be. I keep going back to this passage we looked at a couple weeks ago, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, we have this challenge, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Sometimes we can get a misconception about holiness, but in this context, God is saying he wants us to be set apart. He wants us to lay aside these sins so that we are ready to be used by him. You know, now that we, uh, so many tools and things in our life are battery-powered, isn't it so disappointing when you go to grab that cordless drill or to use your cell phone for a GPS and the battery is just so low, it's not even usable? When God has something that he wants us to do, when he reaches for us, will we be empowered by the Spirit? Will we be ready, set apart for the work that God has for us? The need is, the need is great, and we need to be ready and set apart for what God has for us to do. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we see a counterpoint to a lot of those characteristics of unholiness that we just saw. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are going to have to crucify the flesh in order for the fruit of the Spirit to become evident and to thrive in our life so that God can use us in the ways that He wants to. Crucifixion is a painful process. He used that word very specifically. That would have been a, a word that was very, very um, much at the forefront of the minds of the people in that time that he was writing it. But we are going to have to painfully put aside the flesh in order for the fruit of the Spirit to thrive in our life. Uh, Look at uh, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love that, that picture that it gives. Have you ever um, gotten home from work at the end of the day? And you're a little bit late, you're hungry, and you have this meal idea, and you go to the fridge and you realize the meat never made it out of the freezer. 
into the refrigerator. It's still in the freezer, hard as a rock. And you got to try to thaw it out, and then it's just kind of, it's really thawed out on the outside, it's still frozen on the inside, and you're trying to make it into something edible. Isn't it so much nicer when you come home and this meat is already seasoned, it's marinated a little bit, it's ready to go? Probably shouldn't use that example in the second service because we're pushing right up against lunch. (laughs) But that is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be ready to go. When he has someone that he wants us to minister to, are we going to be ready? Do we have the fruit of the Spirit, the kindness, the gentleness that we need to reach out to them? Or are we going to miss that opportunity because we have been so caught up in our own flesh? We have our Family of Churches conference next week, and we're going to see all the things that God has been doing, what He is doing, and we're going to see that the need is so great. We need Sunday school teachers. We need community group leaders just within the church, but we need people everywhere, in our schools, in our places of work, in our families. Maybe what God, the first step God has for us is just to be able to teach those in our family and to display the fruits of the Spirit to them. If we're going to do that, we are going to have to put aside our flesh so that we can be set apart and usable to God. And lastly, we must become grounded in truth. You look at this last section of these characteristics of our flesh. Without self-control, reckless, treacherous, committed to one thing, and then quickly going and being committed to something that's completely the opposite, disobedient to their parents. And when are we in this sort of place when we go to these characteristics of the flesh? when we are able to be led astray by various passions. Our flesh is allergic to authority and accountability, but that is exactly what we need if we are going to live in the Spirit. A couple years ago, um, I went and saw the the USS Constitution in uh, in Boston Harbor, uh, which is a a colonial-era ship, and we were down below deck, and there was a, a sailor there that was giving us some, some facts about the boat. And he was telling us how the, the big cannons that they had below deck weighed over 5,000 pounds each. And they were secured very heavily with these huge ropes. And he said the term a loose cannon actually comes from when one of those cannons on a ship like that would get loose You can imagine in in rough seas, a 5,000-pound cannon bouncing around inside the hull of a ship. That is the picture that we get here of these characteristics of our flesh. No self-control, reckless, over here one way, next day somewhere else. Good mood, bad mood, committed this week, not committed next week. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need to hear the truth from God's Word. We need to read it for ourselves, but God didn't design us to be lone wolves. We also need to hear it spoken into our lives by other people. We see this picture of the church that he gives and that each member is connected, is joined together, and that is keeping us grounded and, and connected. If, if a part of our body gets severed off, it is not going to go off by itself and thrive on its own. And just like that, we must be connected to the body. We must have people like Paul was to Timothy that are speaking the truth into our lives, that are showing us the deception that's out there. When Paul wrote this and was um, given this picture of, of people who are, are coming into other people's households and deceiving them in this way, he couldn't have known that someday we would have the internet. And it is so easy for these things to come into our household, for them to come into our, our lives. You can find a, a glossy professional video online that'll tell you anything that you want to hear. That's why we need people who are in God's Word as well, who are maybe a little bit further along than we are, to speak the truth into our lives. I need you to speak the truth into my life. And we need each other connected and accountable to each other in order that we can be grounded in the truth and that we can see our flesh when it comes up and know to put it aside and to choose to live in the Spirit. It can be hard. It can be uncomfortable. It can take time. But it is a work that we must do in order to live in the Spirit. So are we putting God first in our lives? Are we delighting in Him? If we think back on this last week, how much time did we spend delighting in Him? Is that going to be any different this week? If not, what is it that we need to do in order to put that in place? Are we pursuing holiness? Is there opportunities to minister to our families, to our fellow students, to our coworkers, to others in the church this next week that God has prepared for us? But are we going to be ready? Is God's word going to be burning within us? Is it going to be on the tip of our tongue so that we can speak that truth into other people's lives? Or are we going to take our foot off the gas and start to revert back into living in the flesh? Are we grounded in truth? Does the, our schedule of events, the things that are most important to us in the coming month, does it involve an importance on being grounded in the truth? The things that we're going to listen to this week and read, are they going to ground us in the truth Living in the Spirit is not going to happen by accident. It is going to be a constant battle that we face. But we have all the power of God through His Spirit that is empowering us to live in the Spirit if we will choose to do the hard work to reject the counterfeit version of Christianity and to choose to walk in the Spirit. Let me pray for us that we would be able to do this. Lord, we thank you so much that you have made a way for us, that you have given us your spirit, that you love us, that you never give up on us, that you are working within us. And Lord, 
I pray that you would continue to do that work, that we would delight in you this week, that we would put you first and foremost in our lives. And then, Lord, if there is someone here who has never experienced salvation, does not have your spirit within them, Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart today, that you would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.